man. Hello. You boys like Mexico? Yeah! Welcome to episode 22 of I Think I Like This Movie, America's Least Necessary Film Criticism Podcast. I am Noah Frank. With me, as always, is my co-host, Will Vitka, and this week, we return to 2002 and return to our very first guest from episode two. It's Matt Polberg, who brings us the Broken Lizard comedy group's breakout feature, Super Troopers, also featuring Brian Cox and Linda Carter. So let's take a trip to the magical land of Vermont, where the cops are lovable ruffians, the mustache rides are available to all, and the snozberries always taste like snozberries. Matt, welcome back, and let me ask you... At what point in the process of choosing and watching this film did you realize that you had brought us a movie about defunding the police? <laughs> I I did not, but unlike the current efforts to defund the police, um, these police actually get defunded in the end. They do. <laughs> not just talk. But but it's it's funny that it's like it's actually the line item, and then like the governor's like like this is this is a film. Uh, if, if viewed through a certain lens about like policy budget decisions at a state level. <laughs> yeah, like local mayors fighting for bigger portions of the state budget with the governor, local bureaucracy. Right. It's New England small state fiscal policy. <laughs> that's, that's what this movie's about. <laughs> I don't think that's what we uh, felt like it was about when we watched it in college. We first originally saw this. Uh, you you brought us this movie, but I know that we saw it about the same time and probably saw it together at some point. What, what was your original viewing experience with this movie and why did you think that you liked this movie? I could not tell you the first time I watched this movie. I definitely saw it on a dvd getting passed around and like between friends probably watched it 20 times so i don't remember which one was the first it's one of those movies sort of like big trouble that i brought you where once you saw it if you found out that you were with someone who hadn't seen it you just put it in the dvd player uh almost immediately yeah i was gonna say i i think i think i saw this with like six other people on a friday afternoon in ryan Brousseau's. Brassard, Ryan Brassard's room yeah, uh, at the house. And like, I just like wandered in and like everyone was watching it and like cracking beers and, and enjoying it. And then proceeded to watch it like once a week for the next month or whatever. Yeah, that, I probably watched, I probably walked in like halfway through the first time I saw it. It was something like that. And then was like, okay, I've got to watch that again. And then, yeah, <laughs> 20 more times. So, so what, why did you uh, think that you liked this movie? I just remember laughing at like so many of the different bits, the so many like classic quotable lines. Uh, like I still remember and do bits from this movie with friends occasionally. Um, just like the littering and littering and littering and, or, uh, you know, leader cola is made its way into my vocabulary, you know, so 20 years later, I still think about it, <laughs> not just, I mean, occasionally, but more the, more so than a lot of other movies have had sort of like a lasting impact on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Will, uh, did, had you seen this movie? What was your experience with it? I'd seen it once, probably way back when I was 22, 23. So I guess about a year or two after it had come out in theaters. I didn't see it in theaters, but I definitely remembered enjoying it. It just, it didn't, it didn't really stick around in my brain. 
I was like, oh, this is this is fun. This is very silly. I enjoyed this, and then I just kind of forgot about it. If I yeah, if I if I didn't know someone who owned it on DVD, or if I didn't buy it on DVD right away, maybe I would have forgotten about it. But you know, I I watched it like twenty times at an impressionable age. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, easy with, yeah. Th- th- there are a few movies uh, like that that I can remember that I saw so many times in such a short period, and then I haven't seen. I I, I don't know, maybe. 15 years since i've seen this like at least 15 years i would say since i've seen this and it only came out 19 years ago but i probably saw it i don't know close to 10 times like like before then yeah i mean i i guess i'm just not in a place where i can i feel like i want to watch the same movie multiple times a week you know over and over again i think part of what was important for me was it was like communal experience again as like if i got to watch it with a new person it was like watching it for the first time again Versus like, you know, I wasn't, I didn't either, all those rewatches were never just by myself to put it on, but it was like a great movie to have on at a party or before a party or like, you know, as after a party or something is winding down. Um, Cause we didn't have like, I didn't have cable in college, didn't have like other stuff. So you always kind of had to put a DVD in. Well, and, and this was, I mean, it was a $3 million movie. This was their, their first like big movie, but it, it didn't get a huge distribution. I, I don't think theatrically. And it, it was something that caught on and got, it gained its cult following when it came out on video. And so like, so like that was how it, that was how it became popular was it, it got passed around, you know, from friend to friend. I think that's like, so we were right in that era before between like VHS and DVD and then like everything had fully shifted to DVD and then things like uh, Family Guy and Arrested Development all got kind of canceled prematurely. And then I think, you know, this is one of those where it really benefited from like the cult, the cult following or, you know, uh, organic groundswell that came sort of after the release. You know, they probably, I don't know if they screwed up on marketing or like why they didn't push for it or it's because it was a $3 million movie by some Canadians or something like what, you know, why it didn't get the sort of reception that I that probably could have, deserved especially given like you know brian cox um it still made a ton of money though off the budget didn't it well but not in the theaters i mean i, I think i think it mostly made that later i and and that i mean you think about there was there was that era right i mean there was that this was sort of that last vestige of pre-social media you know groundswell of or something like like off space could which did not do well in the theaters either but then had this huge secondary you know uh watch market that became a a whole other thing really like any mike movie like 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 we talk about like idiocracy even right which is like still like like that was like just in the beginning of like social media era but like i i only saw that because a friend of mine was like you have to see this and i was like really and they're like yeah i know you have to see this and and like this was in that i don't know eight to ten years of movies where like that was that was what happened and and you could find a a blair witch project kind of you know viral before social media virality existed um just just among communities so all right so for the people who have not seen this movie or it's been a long time since they've seen it Matt, uh, as our guests, it is your job to recap this movie. Give us the plot, just the plot of this movie in uh, as concisely a form as you can, somewhere between a logline and a paragraph. Uh, what happened in this film? All right, I got about a paragraph for you. Let me see if I get this straight. There's a screwball slash prankster Vermont State Highway Patrol uh, unit or troop or whatever. They're facing a shutdown due to budget cuts and they're getting into territory disputes with the local police department of the town that's on their roof. 
um, when, a, when there's a murder, um, and a, bo a body found in a Winnebago, and then a huge drug bust on consecutive days. The mayor pledges his support for more budget for the highway patrol troopers, uh, but the troopers can't stop running pranks on each other, which get them into sort of more and more trouble when they should be trying to like run a tight ship. They try to help on this murder investigation, but the local police seem to take a, an extra interest in it and take the case away from them. But uh, during a romantic romp between a trooper and a local cop at the police station impound lot, they discover the local police are sitting on a giant stash of marijuana hidden in that Winnebago. So the troopers hatch a plan to expose the newly found evidence at a party with the governor. Um, but magically, the local cops beat them to it, all but ensuring that the highway patrol branch will get shut down. Uh, later, they find out one of their own troopers sold them out. Uh, and just when all hope is lost, they stumble upon the smugglers working directly with the local cops to import marijuana from Canada. Uh, they bust those local cops and shut down their smuggling operation. But at the end of the day, they still get defunded. And then it's implied that they become the local cops whose new jobs, who newly vacant jobs from the recent bust. Sure. Yeah. Right. They 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 take over. They become the, the local police force after they, the they become police the local police. Bust. They busted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it's pretty well built up that the local police are the antagonists and they fight throughout the film. Anything else, Will? Uh, any other any other gaps there? Any other points you want to touch on? The only thing that really confused me was, and maybe this is my own misunderstanding of how state versus localities work, is I always have operated under the assumption that state police outranked local police. They do, depending uh, on where they are. They have different... Yeah, and I, and I asked my wife, too, because we both were under the same impression. So I was just confused by the, I mean, the, the intrapersonal conflicts between local and stateies, totally fine with. I just didn't understand how the hierarchy worked i guess yeah so there one there's a different the state troopers would outrank them in certain areas and then the local cops would outrank them in certain areas and obviously given their involvement with the smugglers and running the protection racket they're going on the state troopers turf to run that and then that's when that's what really screws them up yeah yeah. Uh, well, let's get right into the, the, the maybe the stuff that, that didn't quite add up since we're already sort of talking about that. What did you guys notice in terms of, of uh, plot holes or continuity errors uh, within the film? Anything that, that didn't hold up uh, on a rewatch, Matt? You know, I thought I would see something, but I really didn't. I, the script is pretty tight. I didn't see any like major, like major plot holes. Uh, I had to go to IMDb to just look up like where there are goofs or continuity errors and it's all stuff like oh there's three bottles of maple syrup on the table but when they get up there's four or something or like the guys in the back seat of the cruiser the three drug the three stoner kids like there's they're in different positions and different shots um you know like little little the littlest of things i i didn't actually look anything up uh but i did see i did notice just one which is when they arrest the germans and the german couple is in the back of the car and we see Ramathorn say something and then you see the the wife like say something but the the scene just like ends and you don't have her audio you, you can see that does she have like a line like a follow-up line that they, that they cut but they didn't oh. cut it in time to like cut her mouth from like starting to talk <laughs> that was just like the like the one like like editing error that 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 i i saw i really shot out to me today in in the winnebago scene uh grady the head of the local jurisdiction pulls out a bb gun 
The only reason I noticed that is because when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, one of my friend's dads had exactly the same pistol-looking BB gun. Oh, that's, that's funny. There were a couple of, of uh, just like timing issues on, 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 on plot. Both of them are right toward the end, but like having noticed them this time, I feel like I remember them from a previous watch too, which is that uh, when Farva, they, they pull up to the field where this drug transaction is taking place and this sort of climactic scene and Farva goes running off to like, uh, think, thinking that they're, that the local cops are busting the drug dealers. And then everybody else is like, no, wait. And then they hatch a whole plan and then they go in and bust like, or like, like there's like, there's just several minutes have gone by between the time when Farva goes starts running to the plane, which is a hundred yards away, and reaches the plane, <laughs> like like he's he's running into the into this you know scene Farva. that he's not supposed to be a part of, and then and then a whole bunch of stuff happens, and then he arrives, you know, something that should take him ten seconds. Awful long time to get there. Yeah, yeah, it's just a it's just a like a, a a writing issue. I'm sure something got rewritten and they just forgot like how much time it actually elapsed. Similarly, the the letter from the governor at the end uh, that Brian Cox opens and is reading, you can see the, the the wording through the page, and it's like four lines, and he okay. talks for like ninety seconds. It's like it's three times as long as the actual written letter, which just makes no sense because you you have a chance to have him just read an actual letter. Like it would be really easy, and it's very clearly way more language than is in the actual letter. But the, those are fairly minor complaints, all things considered. Either of you notice anything else along those lines? No, I agree with Matt. It's it's honestly it's pretty tight, and it's it's much tighter than I think I gave it credit for the first time I saw it. I think I appreciate the movie more now for being just like a fun, silly ninety minutes. It's it's got you know a perfect like one one arc, and it doesn't try to be something it's not, and it doesn't try to do too much, and it's it knows it's silly and they keep the pranks like throughout but it's not it doesn't devolve at any point it still has that raining through line you know there's a there's sort of like a clear well you don't really know who the bad guy is at first and then you know we but we're, we have sort of a big bad and then you know all hope is lost and then they have redemption and there are more twists than you get in a, in a normal comedy i mean it's it you know you have this very long opening scene that I think really, I re- that was something I really remembered was people being like, you have to see the opening scene of this movie, which it's, I don't know, I didn't clock it, but I think it was like eight minutes. I mean, like it's very long opening that has its own little twist in it. And then it turns out that, you know, that Mac is, is actually a cop and, and, and is, is drawing everybody on the, on this chase. And then, you know, jumps in the into the car, and then you boys like Mexico, and and peels out, and that that leads into the, the sort of beginning of everything, and then at the end you have like a couple of twists, right? I mean, you have the twist of them thinking that that they're gonna bust them with, with, with the pot, and then it turns out they've already got it, and then the twist of that Farber was the one who sold them out. He screwed us over. No, Thorny. <laughs> okay, okay, I did it. I did it. And then the twist that they actually you know don't get their jobs back but then they actually get the other jobs i mean there's there's a lot of like you know rug pulling that it 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 progresses in a fashion that a comedy is going to eventually it ends on a happy ending but like it gets there in a in a a less traditional way or or a a more surprising way a less obvious way at least yeah which is really strong the writing is very strong and what i really appreciated because comedy is very hard to 
to make not timeless is the wrong word but like comedy has a half-life significantly stronger than a lot of other genres and when you think early 2000s comedy you kind of go uh there's probably gonna be a lot of terrible stuff in this probably a lot of gay jokes it's not gonna age very well but they did a really really good job it's a solid again it's just a solid script and there's nothing that's it doesn't go the gross out route there's well there's one there's a couple penis yeah yeah there's a little dick but right literally a little dick but uh otherwise it's it's very strong it's very good yeah making us see far from naked is i mean like i get it i i I get why it's like why it's a good gag uh the scene was great too because like it really made me not think that Farva was the one that sold them out because yeah, he's too like, dumb. well, no, but also cause he's like, no, man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a highwayman. Like, right. Like, right. They try to, right. they try to get it. They try to do everything to get out of him. So like they've already like tortured him. Why would he, and he didn't give him up or sell him out. So then why would he be the one to sell him out later? But I didn't believe it was the girlfriend either. Yeah. I never bought that line that she like tipped yeah. them off. So I don't, that was the only thing that I guess wasn't as believable for me. Cause like, I thought that guy would be so in love. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Foster. I thought he'd be like, I thought he would not be convinced that she sold them out. Did they only call him Foster so that they could throw that banana Foster's joke in there? That, that, like they, when they're at the base, of the little league game and he, and he says, give me a chocolate covered banana Foster. Like I, I never <laughs> noticed that until this watch. And I was like, is That's that funny. the only reason they called him Foster? Was that <laughs> like, I thought that was such a weird line and I didn't even clock that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't the however many times I saw it before, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, you, you mentioned, you know, our, our sort of uh, checklist of early nineties or late nineties, early two thousands movies, like almost always has just like an absolutely needless gay joke and an absolutely needless anti like Asian, anti-Asian American joke. And it was interesting. I this this did took a very progressive view towards sexuality, uh, and also, I think you know there was the stuff about Afghanistan. Then like the Afghanistan animation doesn't hold up too well. No, um, but I, I I actually thought that the stuff with. Uh, Ramathorn wasn't so bad because it, it was sort of making fun of these like small town hicks who like don't know any better that he's not Mexican. Ah, waiter, there you are. I will have the enchilada platter with two tacos and no guacamoles, Mike. <laughs> yeah, Chief, I'll take a chinchilla. <laughs> I don't get it. Tacos? They think I'm Mexican. <laughs> or like, like they, yeah. they do a good job of like, like is that what they do in Arabia? And he's like, how the hell would I know? Like, like the, it's they, they. I feel like sort of are poking fun at themselves in a, in a way um, that like all of these guys, they're, they're not necessarily bad guys, but they're they are definitely dopes. They're like yeah. ignorant and like you know. Well, and when Farva's getting off suspension or getting off radio, which I guess is also suspension right when he's on suspension he's on the radio yeah when he's okay so when he's getting off suspension and he's fighting with a rookie in the garage he says hey ram comes in and says hate to break up the honky convention but you know we've got this thing we got to deal with and then he refers to the his colleagues as the white devil later on there's a lot of stuff in there and it helps that that actor was not just a writer but also the director of the movie yeah and we can never ever forget who wants a mustache right who wants a mustache I do, I do. Lauren, can't they just stay a little longer? All right. Yeah, yeah. Who wants a mustache ride? Fun, fun. 
<laughs> and he's happy to give it to both of them. That's yeah. pretty progressive. Right. Yeah. I, I and I remember like I remember being kind of like, whoa, like <laughs> like I wasn't like expecting that when when I like first saw it. Um because it was it was against the sort of cultural grain and not necessarily in like a in like a shocking way, but it but it just wasn't the way that that stuff was normally handled in in a movie in that era. Yeah, it was nice. Of, of the time uh, and, and error references, since we're sort of uh, on that, uh, anything really stand out to you, Matt, um, in terms of either the dialogue or the what, just the, the shots or anything giveaway that this that this movie was extremely two thousand two? I thought it was a pretty good job at being kind of timeless, um, other than the fact that there's like no cell phones in the thing. So then that sort of lets it lets you see that it yeah that's sort of like in a pre iPhone era, but I think a lot of movies nowadays are still doing that too. Like if it's not an important part of the plot, they're not including a cell phone. So that's kind of a good strategy, but the giant bales of marijuana being flown into a state where it's now legal for medical and recreational use, that doesn't, it's not really a thing anymore. So I think that, you know, most of those other jokes, you know, the other, the, the pranks, they're all sort of part of time. They're all sort of, they're not really topical. You know, they could get, they could be t- plus or minus 10 years. Will, anything uh, stand out to you? There were actually two scenes with cell phones and they're the ancient giant cell phones with the oh. flip receiver. Ram uses one to talk to his uh, head shop owning uh, girlfriend. And he's like, we got to talk about this later. And it's, it's right before Farva oh, jumps, right, right, jumps right, over right. the, the, what is it? Dimp, dimps, dimpies, dimpses, the burger joint. In D- burger. Yeah, dimpus. And, right. Burger. And it threatens to kill and or brutally maim uh, several of the workers there. Um, and uh, the, the, I forget his name, but the ginger uses the cell phone to call into the station to, to sort of fake flash her. Oh, no, he's coming back to the doors. And right, like, right, yep. Pretend to be the voice changer to, to go after him. Right. Voice changers I haven't seen in movies since like Scream, which is yeah the same uh, time period as this. So that might be. I mean, the only the only I feel like the only time they really exist in our cultural like awareness is on like 2020 when they have to like hide someone's identity, you know, <laughs> and like like they don't even do that anymore. They used to do that to have like someone in the dark and you know comes through on the voice modulator. Yeah, that's uh. That's that, that puts it into some kind of a window for sure. Um, but otherwise, that's, no, that's that they're pretty they're pretty good about not showing a lot of the technology. Well, and it's funny that the marijuana stuff, <laughs> we're like, because they do like the big drug bust, and and the governor's like, what what, what is this cocaine? And they're like marijuana. And she's like, why are we here? Are we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like even even that even when it was like illegal, it was like really this is important enough for us to be here. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think uh I think <laughs> it, this isn't necessarily O2, but but Mark said is definitely not today, but the uh the mayor saying, uh, I'm thinking we we <laughs> we need as much police as we can get. <laughs> just just tying back to this like like a murder one day and a drug bust the next, like like gotta arm up arm up our little town, you know, and and, and there's also a reference to uh when they're talking about 
how the, how the governor is going to be so impressed that Max says like, we're going to get a tank, <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> is strangely and uh, eerily prescient uh, of the way that police departments have been uh, militarized over the last 15 or 20 years. But yeah, other than that, like not, not a ton. Let's get into the characters. There are, this is a fairly big cast, a uh, big sort of ensemble cast. Was there a character that, that stood out to you this time around, Matt, uh, as, as, uh, that you maybe didn't remember as much the, that you enjoyed more? And was there maybe somebody that you thought was funnier that, that uh, wasn't as funny this time around? I think Brian Cox just is always a pleasure in this movie. You know, he's not a huge part. He's not in every scene, but he's, you know, definitely the glue, the glue back at the station and then really comes into his element when he like is uh, drunk and beating up on the local police. It's, I never remember that Jim Gaffigan's in this movie until I watch this movie. And then the, I watch it, you know, when I watch it again, I go, oh yeah, Jim Gaffigan's in this movie. That seems kind of funny, especially because, you know, he plays right into the meow game pretty well. All right, meow, where were we? I'm sorry, are you saying meow? Am I saying meow? <laughs> I, I, th- I thought you... Don't think, boy, meow. Do you know how fast you were going? I don't know. I think Farva, just being Farva gets a little bit old. As I watch it, um, he's just—it's just so sad. But then, but it's kind of like what his character has to be. So, what makes the plot work? What makes a character work? So, I can't really hate on it too much. I think the other thing that I feel like they could have done a slightly better job making like the dumb local cops dumber or more hated or something. They just kind of seem dull in this in this viewing for me. I don't yeah. I don't really know what I would f- fix there because you don't want them to become bigger characters than the troopers. But it just sort of felt like they're just like caricature dumb and not like not as but not also like running this smuggler ring. Yeah, I mean, Grady's the only one with any substance, um, mm-hmm. and obviously it's his operation. But but yeah, he's he's the only one who's who's fleshed out beyond a, a pretty a pretty you know rudimentary sketch. Well, characters um, agreed uh, with Brian Cox being an absolute delight, uh, almost no matter what role he's in. But I particularly appreciated him here as the uh, state highway chief, and I gotta say that. And no, and I think you and I were talking about this way earlier, but for some reason in my brain, I had cataloged this under like gross out humor. And I had this like way different memory of Mac. I loved Mac. He's the best. He's absolutely, <laughs> I was like shocked at how much I enjoyed his character this time around because he's he's earnest, he's ridiculous, but he's earnest and he's fun. And he even makes a joke uh, after they get busted smoking pot watching, um, what is it? The uh, Johnny John, Chimpo. Johnny Chimpo. Johnny Chimpo. <laughs> He's like, our pranks are cheeky and fun. Farba's pranks are depressing and, and tragic. <laughs> tragic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I had remembered Mac as being the funniest of, of the troopers themselves, of sort of the four who are our our main characters um, from the beginning, and and always enjoying him the best. And I felt I felt uh, vilified in that. I was like, oh yeah, right. No, that's yes, that's that is he's he's still he's still the, the the funny one of the four rabbit i i had remembered as being kind of eh, and and he's still kind of eh. like he's it's there the harder he tries the, the more the stuff kind of falls flat it's just like not he's just not a very like he's just not as funny as the other guys but I yeah saw that a little bit as him being like learning how to operate on their level in terms yeah. of like pranks and humor and stuff so 
I didn't think that was like necessarily even out of character or whatever, but yeah, I, I definitely, I, I think I, I did think he was funnier than when I watched originally watched it. Yeah. He just, I mean, Mac has, has a lot of the best lines for sure. I mean, it's just like, he's written the best. Um, but he, he also does a really good job. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, and I, we were talking, Will and I were talking about this before we came on, but I had always loved the interactions between the, the two chiefs. Like I thought, I thought that that drove the movie in a way like as sort of the, the undercurrent of the sort of walking this line between this very serious job and the complete absurdity with which they treat everything and, and just their, their interactions throughout the, the movie as they insult each other and and get more and more bitter until they finally duke it out <laughs> drunkenly on, on the airfield. Like, didn't he say he like fucked his cousin or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's this there's this like pronounced beat and he just goes, she wasn't my cousin. <laughs> like yeah, yeah Dana Von Margaret uh, R.I.P. was so good and so dry. Uh, it was such a good counterpoint because Brian Cox gets all riled up and you know that accent carries through, and then you have just this like very low, like like dry cutting. You know, uh, it turns out to be the bad guy. You know, the, not just an antagonist, but like the bad guy. I mean, they did a good job of showing like that like obstruction level, but it's also like you would totally believe that it's just because they're territorial or like they've been stepping on each other's toes for the last 40 years right yeah, yeah right he's he's like he mentions like no but like back in 77 like just yeah, just yeah. immediately establishes like it's been 25 years that these guys have been like going after each other and don't like each other um i they, they do it i think a good job in that sense in the way that any good tight comedy does where they they can make a reference to something and you just, you, you know what they're talking about and then you don't even have to get into it. And like, they pay off like the, like the Farva bus thing, you know, in the credits, but mm-hmm. you, you didn't even need to, to yeah, know. Like, like you, that. it's like, you just like, Oh, right. <laughs> something about a school bus the full school of kids. Bus like, yeah. Right. Something like everyone, everyone knows about the school bus incident. <laughs> right. And you know, it's not going to be like awful, but you know, it's going to be funny and it's going to be, you know, him just making an ass of himself and, and being unprofessional and something happening, you know, and you can see it because you see the other things play out and it, like you, I, it is nice that they pay it off. It's nice that they give it to you as like a little Easter egg at, at the end, but like you, you didn't need it. I thought, honestly, that was one thing I didn't, I thought, I thought, I thought I remembered that scene being funnier. I knew it happened in the credits, the school bus yeah. scene. I was like, oh yeah, that's the like after credits Easter egg or the or whatever. And then well, I was like, did and then you, this time I was like, did you watch all the way to the very end of the credits? No. Where did I <laughs> all the way at the very end of the credits, you see Farva puking into the toilet again, then getting that shot. And then everybody cheering. Oh, from the they, montage. They, yeah, but like, because <laughs> he actually like drank enough to like puke for the for that shot, and oh, like, it's that that's like the final final thing at the very very end of the credits is they they roll that with just like the natural audio <laughs> of like oh. of like the room, you know? Uh, yeah. I might have watched that 15 years ago, but I, I didn't stick around through the end because Hulu didn't make it easy on me. Uh, to watch through the end credits but yeah i was still taking notes uh, as it ticked down to to zero and i was like oh I yeah just, that's i right. just was like the this this the credit soundtrack i was like eh, i don't need to listen to this anymore i should have fast forwarded though uh so yeah this is available on hulu if you uh, are a hulu subscriber um which is nice uh, a lot of our movies you have to pay to rent uh if you are already subscribed you can watch this one for free 
let's uh since we have two gauchos here we'll get, get into gaucho watching matt maybe you can help me a little bit on this because i have a memory which you might you might have have more uh insight on but uh gaucho watch is the segment every episode where i try to find a connection between this film and uh, my alma mater, the University of California, Santa Barbara, which is also Matt's alma mater. And in 2015, Steve Lemmy, who is Mac, and Kevin Heffernan, who is Farba, hosted the LOL Comedy Festival at the Libero Theater in downtown Santa Barbara, which was not their first visit to Santa Barbara, because I remember them coming to Santa Barbara while we were still in college, and I don't remember why. Do you remember was it, why? Was it, for, was it for Club Dread? I don't know. I just I remember the whole troop came in and they were partying downtown. And like somebody was like, was like the oh, broken lizard guys are downtown. And we were I like, what? <laughs> they probably came for Santa Barbara film festival with like club dread in June or yeah. something. But anyway, I remember them being there while we were in school, but uh, yeah, I actually, I actually don't remember that. I wasn't, we, 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 we have a more concrete tie in 2015 anyway. Uh, so regardless of my fuzzy memory uh, from the mid-aughts, well, that still fulfills Gaucho Watch for episodes. To, to fulfill it a little closer, I've actually met Jay and Kevin. Um, we They were at Slam, Slam Dance Film Festival in Park City. That's the little sister festival of Sundance that takes place up the street at the same time. And they were there to promote their movie, The Slammin' Salmon which Jay wrote and Kevin Heffernan directed. Um, my wife, my now wife, who was working at the festival at the time, uh, got me into all the cool parties with the filmmakers. So I got to hang out with Jay and Kevin for like an hour and a half and had some beers, had some 4% uh, Utah beers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Utah. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Did you guys notice the soundtrack? Uh, what what stood out to you about uh sound in this movie matt i thought it was an interesting choice to kind of go with like a almost southern vibe for all the stuff even though it's like a canadian border town it felt like mm, kind of dukes of hazardy or something or i don't really know i don't really know what it was trying to put off with that but you know a lot of the like non-licensed music a lot of a lot of like the like the original soundtrack and score stuff was like sort of twangy i didn't really like that many of the songs on there and like most of them like Big Bear was kind of funny. There's another one with like t- the line t- Ticket to Ride, but it wasn't the actual song Ticket to Ride. Um, those sort of jumped out for me. But other than that, I thought it was like almost almost good in a way that like the songs didn't really like take take away from the story and the comedy. It was sort of, you know, there, there's a lot more dialogue and a lot less like, you know, cinematic shots with like music playing or pumping or whatever. It's more just like to keep rhythm in the in the scenes and then like fly to the Valkyries when they when they when they send the car out, you know, like that that sort of jumped out. But there wasn't like there wasn't stuff with pop songs and it's a three million dollar movie. That's why I'm pretty sure. But the, you know, there's still like looking back, there's still you know, there's still a couple big songs in there. Will, what did, what did you notice about the soundtrack? Um, a lot of rock and roll and a lot of uh, to Matt's point a band called Southern Culture on the Skids. They have like six or seven songs on there. Well, 38 Special is the, 38 special, yeah. is the band that is credited at the end for a lot of the, of the soundtrack, which is absolutely like, to Matt's point, a sort of Southern rock band, uh, which is formed by uh, Donnie Van Zant and Don Barnes. Donnie Van Zant, whose older brother 
Ronnie, and younger brother Johnny have both been lead singers in Leonard Skinner. Uh, they are from 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 Jacksonville, Florida, which right has it does not really seem to fit a, a, a movie in Vermont, but it it does give it that sort of to your point that you you, know, you mentioned Dukes of Hazard uh, like smoky and the bandit i don't know like something something that's like an on the road kind of you know car driven like uh americana in in some way that that it, it kind of works especially that, like that like opening riff when they, they get into like this like the first scene and when they're on the highway and everything it, it's it lends itself to the highway i guess more more than anything else mother of god Yeah, it's like trucker culture that yeah. is like aligned with sort of the things that we think of when we associate southern southern culture and driving. And- All right, let's let's talk about these characters. Uh, this has been uh, 19 years since this movie uh, was made. I know there's been a sequel. Let's ignore the sequel and let's take our own crack at what has happened to each of these characters in this world in this intervening nearly nearly 20 years up to the present day. Uh, Matt, do you have any any thoughts on this? I think that everyone's really happy to have Brian Cox still around. Um, <laughs> I think that you know he's clearly like retired but still involved. I'm not sure who's who's chief at this point, but I bet one of them's still working there. Um, Jay's probably in Europe or Thorny. I mean. <laughs> I would want to. I bet one of those um, the college kids uh, is on the force as well at some point. I I bet they have a a bonding experience when they sort of they sort of did their own beer fest. I, I'm sort I'm of, picking sort of straightens up after straightens up after after. College. I'm picking I'm picking the acid kid. I, that's the, of the three of them. That's who I who I think ends up on the force. We've established that Rabbit has a drug history, so clearly that's not prohibitive to getting hired. Yeah, uh, exactly. And then they, and they're the cool cops. They have, they can have fun, and you know, one of them's going to straighten up and do that. Um, obviously, uh, uh, what's his name, Foster and Ursula, got a couple kids by now. Um, maybe one of them's going off to college eighteen years later. Oh God, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Conceived in the back of a locked cop car, <laughs> on top of bales of marijuana. That they had to that they had to pull the door off of yeah oh yeah how did yeah how did they get that how did that work it, you we can't just, just pull it off from the inside somebody he called somebody but we don't know who to, well there's to, a there's a shot later on right it shows the, the door that's been taken off but it's unclear how the door who took the door off or i don't know those kids with wrenches i think is what yeah he's right um well yeah well did you have thoughts on on character features yeah, I think that 20 years on, they're actually all the stars of their own AMC reality show, where we go sort of behind the scenes in a Vermont police department. So they're all reality stars now. Brian Cox, the captain, RIP, probably didn't survive the last 20 years. But you know what? They're doing it for the chief. And Mac is obviously the star of the reality show. I So I, I had Ramathorn uh, having been promoted to chief of police. Uh, where he remains the only non-white cop in the state of Vermont. Uh, Foster and Rabbit uh, have continued on as mediocre and slowly more authoritarian local cops, uh, but Mac died of autoerotic asphyxiation. That was the, that was I was I 
had sort of forgot that he like starts choking himself out. <laughs> my, my wife walked in during that scene and I was like, cheers. This is what we're watching this week. <laughs> well, when he, yeah, when he hits his dick with the radar gun, he's up to like 115 or something. I mean, that's. Uh... Oh, I thought it was 15. No, I think, he, I think, he, I think he, I think it's when he flips it to the car that it goes oh, then, from, 15, yeah. from 15 to 115. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's very impressive, Mac. Well done. I mean, it's, yeah, impressive is a word. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't really want to think about it that much. Nope. All right, so we already know that this uh, film has a sequel that came out a couple of years ago, which I assume none of us have watched. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, I, I remembered it coming out, forgot about it, and then re-remembered when we went back to like research for this movie. Kind of like Zoolander. Like you forget that Zoolander had a sequel that came out a couple of years ago. Another very popular movie uh, on the same era. So knowing that, but casting that aside, could this movie get made again today, Matt? I think it. I think it could, and almost pr- probably word for word, like there weren't really any majorly problematic jokes. I think maybe they wouldn't show Farva's penis, but you know maybe they would. You know the hazing stuff was a little bit probably what you know that probably wouldn't show as much of of that. Um, you know, given sort of the trend towards you know trying to combat that on campuses and stuff. I think that you know there pretty much nothing else that would have to change. Well, what do you think? Uh, I'm kind of torn on this, actually, because there aren't a lot of cop movies coming out, but there are a lot of cop TV shows. I think it's hard to paint, given the national climate, I think it's hard to be like, here are your lovable local cops in a film. I just don't see that necessarily working. We probably have to wait until things get sorted out or the script is completely reworked. You'd have to include a lot of unpleasant stuff, like addressing all kinds of horrible shit that cops do to the communities, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. I think it would be a really, really hard sell. It could get done, but I'm not sure how. Well, to that end, I think one of the reasons that this movie is on Hulu is because of what else is on Hulu, which is the series starring both Kevin Heffernan and Steve Lemmy called Tacoma FD, in which they play firefighters who hold a much different place in our societal esteem in in many ways, despite being lumped into the same sort of first responder category uh, and have a lot less of the problematic uh, uh, issues that that police have, uh, both in terms of you know, uh, public perception and, and reality. Uh, and I, I absolutely, I mean, it makes perfect sense that, that they've gone that route with this TV show. And I, I think if you, if they did remake it, you would see it as firefighters because, because they're, they have that sympathy that, uh, you just don't have universally with police right now. Uh, there's, it's so, it's so divisive, you know, it's, it, it is such a wedge issue where like, pretty much everybody's in agreement that like <laughs> everybody likes firefighters. So uh, it's, I, I, I could see it almost exactly the same, except right. Going, going that route instead. And my favorite joke. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, what do you, uh, police and firefighters have in common? Do tell. They both wanted to be firefighters when they grew up. <laughs> 
fantastic. It just it seems it seems like that's uh, a much easier sell, as is evidenced by the fact that they are starring in a firefighter show on the same platform. But yeah, I mean, this movie made made way more money than it cost. Even with some of the failures, or not failures, but uh, financial, financially less successful ventures that Broken Lizards undertaken in, in the years since, I, clearly these guys are in a series on Hulu right now. Like, there's still probably some appeal for the same kind of easygoing, you know, lighthearted, pranky humor um, that most of this movie revolves around. What else? I feel like Matt, you mentioned off the top, just that. So much, so much of our, our memory of this of this movie is is the good dialogue. There are just so many snappy jokes and lines and things that get stuck in your head. Is, were there, are there other things about this that that you just had you remembered? You had notes on other stuff you want to talk about? Yeah, I think that like the snozberries taste like snozberries line is just is all time. It's just such a such a imperfect encapsulation of like that character. I thought that it was really funny when the that douchebag was like so that was about a hundred bucks worth of weed and about 30 bucks worth of shrooms and uh we need to get that whenever <laughs> after making a meet at all i still play like the meow game it's i still try to work a meow in every now and then um, yeah i do too i I'll, I'll say right meow. just i and like i i'll forget even that that's where that's from but yeah like- exa- exa- exactly um and then i i say leader cola now i still i can't help it yeah, I uh, I think on the rewatches, you know, I always appreciate the stuff that you pick up the second time, and and the, mm-hmm. there's a lot of the stuff, the stuff that stuck with me is the, the lines that all you almost miss, stuff that either happens in the background or that they just like move so fast through into the next thing, uh, like when they're they're in the burger joint and and he's like, uh, it's a burger, it's for a cop, you know, and he's like, what does that mean? You're gonna spit at it? And he's like, no, no, of course not. Don't just, spit in that burger. Right? Yeah, he goes, he goes, don't spit in that cop's burger. And then in the background, you hear the guy on the other end of the mic go roger that holding spit <laughs> like like it's so quiet that like if you don't have the tv turned up like you might miss it you know but like 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 it's it's such a, a in four words he confirms that absolutely that, that meant that they were going to spit in his burger and like they're already into the next line and like moving on but like it's just it's such an, a really nice like deft touch on that i loved how you saw that him like jump over the counter but then later you're watching brian cox rewatch the rest of the scene like <laughs> yeah. on repeat and, and the, just keep rewinding and rewinding <laughs> <laughs> um there was another throwaway line that was like that uh, when they're at the baseball game and then he hands them the cotton candy and then the local cop starts arguing with the guy that's like sitting behind him i don't know it's like i'm gonna send you to sugar sugar or something yeah something i can't remember what the what the specific line is yeah there's there was another one which this is funny like i feel like i feel like we always bring this up whenever this exists in the the movies which i guess it's just because it's hollywood and like there's so much that revolves around union work that like there's union lines snuck into all sorts of stuff. But it was, it was so great where it, Brian Cox tells Farrie is that there was a time he used to take a guy like you out back and beat you with a hose. Now you've got your goddamn unions. And, and he's, he, his reply is, Cap, you know I'm not even a union guy. <laughs> he's just like always the most pathetic version. Of yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just looked up the quote. The the officer goes, "How's the view from Sugar Heaven, bitch?" <laughs> Personally, I'm a huge fan of Desperation as a stinky cologne. Oh yeah. I scratched your back, Bruce. I scratched it good and hard. Now either you scratch my back, or you're gonna get my size ten boot up your ass. 
Desperation is a stinky cologne, John. Yeah, I mean, really, like, for being, like, the bad guy, I think bad guys oftentimes don't get a lot of great lines. Like, they keep them for the good guys. Mm-hmm. He has so he has so many good lines. The, the, oh, yeah. the chief of police, police of Spurberry has so so many good lines i that we were talking about this before uh but i remember in college using, using the frank <laughs> cox is like i know we don't like each other because i like you look i know we don't like each other i like you <laughs> like, like yeah yeah I, that was we, a great line i remember using it like when this movie was out when we were watching it it was because it's just so funny it's so it's it's such a like dick flat delivery <laughs> this is perfect yeah i don't know what else any other any other loose ends anything else the only thing i can think of is that when they first pull over the 18 wheeler that's carrying the 150 kilos of weed apparently which is a shitload of weed it says bunty soap on the side and then later on when they see it again i think it says runty soap so they just like shifted it down and i thought that yeah they just uh (laughs) like scraped off the the b and that was like supposed to camouflage this trailer yeah yeah, i thought that was just great (laughs) well they said it was a made-up soap company so i guess they just made up a second soap company yeah i i noticed uh, and like this isn't necessarily inconsistent with the plot but it's eh, it's a little iffier like as much as as their behavior is is iffy in the first place in the opening scene we have this whole thing and and you know they pull over the druggies they're in the back of the cop car they have the whole scene in the bar where they find out that it's mac and you know he whatever he's making him pay up on the bet and then he takes the four shots and they're like oh yeah the kids in the car like let's let's go fuck with them and then mac who has just ripped four shots jumps behind the wheel of a, of a cop car <laughs> with three minors in the back and takes off. And I was like, Ooh, eh, I yeah, know there's he's... a lot of drunk driving in this. And now that I think about it, <laughs> yeah, like I know he was mostly just like doing donuts around like a parking lot, but still like talk about like liability on stuff. Like, ugh, I don't know. I, I, it's who knows. Perhaps there's a reason they're about to be shut down. Yeah, right. Maybe they're not great police officers. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot. I mean, they they were drunk driving at the end. <laughs> the whole like yeah, the whole scene. the whole final act is drunk driving. Yeah, and not just like a couple at dinner. <laughs> no, as as Foster says when Max says, "I'm sober as a bird," and Foster goes. I am drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Foster was pretty endearing in that point. I, I also, I, I was thinking, I just really like that scene where they show up as bikers uh, to meet in secret yeah. at dinner. Yep. <laughs> I, I, had, like, I, I, like, I got the joke before they even like the the punchline. Like the second I saw him, like before she even walked in, it's just like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I remember that as soon as I saw her walk in in the biker gear. I was like, oh right, it's, it's that scene. Uh, I didn't remember. I didn't remember that he leaves his sunglasses on. <laughs> he's wearing. He's wearing like his like lycra, and he's just like has his sun. He takes his helmet off. It's at like, night. Leaves. Yeah, right. He's it's, wearing it's his sunglasses a, at night. Right, like the the they're trying to be inconspicuous, and they're the most conspicuous people possible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we must answer the final question, the all important question, the reason that this podcast exists. Matt, you brought us this movie. Do you still like this movie? I absolutely still like it. I actually was happy that it held up, and you know, is you know a little little t- it's more tight than I imagined, and like Will said, like less gross out slapstick than I thought. 
Um, you know, there's some implied stuff with like the spitting and the burger, but they don't actually like do the gross out thing. Only really, you know, there's you know, there's still some some gross out with the the throwing up and the the nudity, but it's not like it doesn't take away from the experience for me. And honestly, I'm not sure how often I'll rewatch it, but I think it's one of those movies that if I have kids one day and I send them off to college, I'll probably make them watch this <laughs> and say like, this is what it was like when I went to school. Well, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really, really did. It's a lot of fun. It's very, very silly, but it's, it's the right kind of silly. It's a movie that really wants you to like it. And like Matt said, it's tight script. I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with it. But to our earlier point, yeah, I think this would probably have to be about firefighters in the future because just that's just where we are right now. It, it, it would be interesting to have like an 18-year-old watch this just with what they've seen the last five years in America. And like, are they apprehensive about embracing, you know, these guys as our, as our sort of protagonists? But yeah, the the, the comedy holds up way better than i thought i was going to i was i was as much as i remembered certain pieces of it there there's very little that's cringeworthy and that's you know i mean like i think you know a couple of things you mentioned matt in terms of just the nudity and the vomiting like that were maybe a little more shock heavy then so much has come out since then that's that's been in the same vein or has tried to push an envelope further that like they they still achieve their purpose but they're not like super they're not like in your face it's it's not as like like dramatic you know and and over the top as as maybe it once was which i think is a good thing you know yeah it's it's the dialogue is very is very good and the characters are compelling and funny and you know in a way that so many of the films that we watch for this fail at having like realistic or even just funny, snappy, engaging dialogue. There's never, there's no lull. Like the the movie just moves quickly the way that a good comedy should. It's, it's, it's punchy. It's, it's, you know, they're, they don't waste scenes and uh, yeah, everything moves. Everything moves the plot along. I felt like the, all the pranks were really well designed in a way that you feel like you're sort of in on the joke very quickly that's a great point it doesn't you know it doesn't take like a long time to sort of like set up or pay off like you feel like you know they're doing the repeating game which is a game that everyone's played as a kid or something like that uh, to either like screw to mess with someone else um and then you know like the meow game is like you know it's just it's just instant like you you understand what's what's happening Um, yeah and the other thing is that like these pranks are not malicious exactly yeah they're they're harmless it's it's like like, yeah lighthearted and harmless and since we've mentioned the uh, male nudity, it's worth noting that there's no female nudity in this. Yeah, nope. there's a this very small amount of female nudity. Oh, is we, there? We, we oh, see the, the German, German ones. All right. Uh, when they want the mustache ride. Yes. I forgot about the German they're, ones. They're jumping on the bed. Yes. I, that's actually one of, one of my favorite uh, reveals. <laughs> uh that you think the kid is jumping on the bed yep they're then their two parents like discussing in the hallway like this thing and this thing and then well they're talking about what they're what they're going to do if he if he gets shut down and like what are they they going to move with them like like, they're having a a family discussion right yeah (laughs) how did i forget about the german wife and 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 it's been set up that that got set up by when he has the kid is on like the ride along in the car and and he's telling him to stop any other day i'd look i'd show you how to step in and show you how to swing but yeah no but but i mean he's he's talking to the kid he's like he's like no don't don't hit the siren you know he's like he's like 
right, right, right. You have to like deal with like the kid, and so like you just assume he's dealing with the kid again. Like it's it. Yeah, they yeah, do, yeah. It's softly, so like, in your, you know, subconsciously sets you up for that. He's been parenting him in the same way, like right. Yeah, except it's actually these horny Germans instead. Matt, what, what do you got going on? Uh, any anything new and exciting that you that you want to promote? My wife is now working on The Bachelor, so tune into the next season of The Bachelor in like four months, whenever that's done filming. But <laughs> support her there. Follow me on Twitter, not spam, I promise. You want to follow some hot takes about reality shows and the fun world of digital advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and make sure that you are following us on Twitter and on Instagram at like this movie. You can always jump in the conversation using the hashtag ITILTM. It's hashtag ITILTM. And we will see you back here next week. I think I like this movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. All music on the show, unless otherwise noted, provided courtesy of the South County All-Stars. Copyright 2021. I'm sorry, Bruce. These boys get that syrup in them. They get a little antsy in their pantsy. They just can't keep them under control.